Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right, TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. Tailgating. Tailgates. Yeah, tailgating's always a blast. Yeah! It's time to start your Raider football day with the morning tailgate with your hosts, Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, and Heidi Fang on Raider Nation Radio. All right, the third hour of the morning tailgate up and loaded here on Raider Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, and you here on a beautiful and perfect hip-hop Thursday. 6 187 is the Sam and Ash text line. You can also hit us up on Twitter at r 920 am as we broadcast live from the Findlay Cadillac Performance Studios here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks again for the second hour. Todd Dewey and Paul Gutierrez, those interviews will be up on our podcast page on lvsportsnetwork.com as well as iTunes and on Amazon and Audible and where you get the podcast. As uh, we listened to Paul, and I, there was some stuff that Gutierrez gave us in that second hour that really gave us some thought of like, you know what, this is McDaniel's system cars learning it Devonte adams trying to be the fit into the puzzle and all this is coming together all at once mm-hmm. and you know we don't have a whole lot of time until it gets there uh, we're just a little over a month and 10 days and what do you know about the continuity that this team needs to find out once they're in pads and it might be one of those moments where you see in a preseason where regulars have to play a little longer just so we see what they have in store. Maybe they need to have that time in the preseason to get that kind of continuity before game one hits. Maybe or maybe not. Um, I'll take you back to 2017, the Rams. Okay. Sean McVay coming in. Uh, new coach, new assistant, Wade Phillips, the new defensive coordinator. Um uh, the, the Rams are coming off a 4-12 and season, um, and Sean McVay, this young, hotshot coach, decides, I'm not going to play any of my regulars during the preseason. And was like, what are you doing? You got a new system, a new quarterback. Jared Goff was making, really going into his first season as a starter. This is nuts. This is crazy. Uh, you, you, you need this time to get this offense in, installed, and the defense, and blah, 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 blah. First game of the season, 46-9. to The Rams just boat raced the Colts. He didn't need it. They And they went on to win their division and go to the playoffs for the first time in a million years. So uh, be careful with all of that. You know, like they have to do this or they have to do that. Um, I'm not so sure they do. I think we're probably going to see some of the regulars. Um, but uh, um, I don't think that you necessarily have to. History has shown, and the Rams are, are proof of it, going into a brand new season with a brand new coach. Um, you don't necessarily have to play your regulars, and they showed uh, that year in 2017 that it was, you know, that first game it, it looked entirely different. They looked uh, on the same page. They were uh, a tremendous football team from the get go. So, uh, so yeah, I don't necessarily think that they have to, but I do. I have a feeling um, that that they probably will. Uh, I think they 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 will just going on what the Patriots have done in the past. Uh, I think that. Uh, for whatever reason, they've decided that 
their veteran players still need some time in the preseason. So, yeah, we've seen that over the years too, and uh, we'll get into more of that. Uh, it's an interesting concept to see what may have been, uh, you know, true for some teams, but. This team is a, is a little different. It's not like it's uh, rookie-laden. It's veteran-laden with a lot of smart players. Right. And maybe getting that proof of concept early is something that they can avoid later on in about you know uh, 60 days from now when they're in the heart of the preseason. Hey, let's switch uh, gears right now because our good friend Rich Ornberger is here with us, the former NFL lineman and host with Extra 1360 and in the nationwide Fox Sports Radio. Rich, thank you for joining us here. We love having you on, man. And I got to ask you, you know, has there been a hangover effect for the Chargers during this offseason just considering the way it ended with Brandon Staley calling a timeout in overtime and it ultimately allowed the Raiders to win and it put the Chargers on the outside out of the postseason uh, has there been a lingering effect about Staley's call there and what they got in store because everyone's coming back for one more kick at the can you know what's so interesting about this offseason for the Chargers if you think if you think about other sports franchises like if you think about the New England Patriots or if you think about the Green Bay Packers or if you think about, you know, shoot, any team, frankly, that's had recent success and has a, a large reaching fan base, the Raiders. And they suffered the same fate as the Chargers. This would be a much bigger deal. But the Chargers don't have to worry about negative press because they're relatively anonymous in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, this isn't, this isn't even a jab at them right. you know, from a public relations standpoint. I actually think they've tried their hardest and they've done a decent job, especially on social media, trying to get people pumped up for the season. They, they've done an excellent job in free agency this off season in past years. They've done an excellent job in the draft. With, uh, you know, especially with the drafting of Justin Herbert. I mean, that completely changes your franchise's outlook, especially after the Phillip Rivers uh, era and for the Chargers. But, you know, this, this team just doesn't receive a lot of negative press because they just don't have as far reaching a fan base as they used to. Mm. You know, in San Diego, it used to be all Chargers, all Chargers. I mean, if you entered. The summer months, especially with the Padres, who had been typically a very bad baseball team, your only other professional sport to turn to was the NFL, and the Chargers were everything. But now you don't have as much support from the San Diego fan base because they feel jilted after they left. And Los Angeles, they're still trying to get things started with that fan base. So, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. Under normal circumstances, there would be a hangover effect after a season ends that way. But for the Chargers, it's just very different because it's a very different type of franchise, especially after the relocation. Uh, no doubt about it, and that's a great point, uh, Rich. But uh, forget a public relations standpoint. Um, you know what that decision, uh, the timeout, um, you know, uh, created public relations wise, uh, or, or some of the other decisions that Brandon Staley made uh, last year in time in terms of going for it on fourth down, specifically against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, from a practical standpoint, um, this is what I wanted to ask you, especially as a former player. Um, you know, uh, he was stubborn, it, it felt, in, in certain ways, and I thought made some mistakes uh, in some of the, uh, the, the avenues that he took and some of the decisions that he made, um, specifically what we were just talking about. Uh, and to this day, he just literally was quoted as saying, you know, with that timeout against the Raiders, I'm not sure why that got so magnified. Well, I mean, it was a pretty big decision. That's why it got magnified, and it could have. 
uh, literally led to your playoff demise. So it did get magnified because of that. And people want to know what was the thought process behind that. Having said all of that, one thing that stuck out uh, to me in, in what he said was this um, about last year and some of the decisions that he made. And I want to read this to you. Uh, I wanted to create a mindset in our team, and it really started with what I felt like it needed, a fearlessness. Um, you know, in terms of some of those decisions going forward on fourth down, that fearlessness, uh, the mindset that he was trying to create. And I get that, Rich. I truly, truly do. But at what point is that fine line of forget sending a message, forget trying to create a mindset and fearlessness and all those big slogans and things like that. You're trying to win a football game and make the right decisions to win the football game and focus on that rather than the big picture. Am I wrong in in thinking along those lines? No, I I think, look, Brandon Staley has received a lot of criticism for good reason because when you're a head coach in the NFL – Two things are apparent, and we all know these things. Your decisions have probably a greater impact on your team's level of success than any other professional sports league. I mean, if you think about the importance of managerial decision-making in baseball, I mean, it pales in comparison to the decision-making on game day for an NFL coach. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about NBA, I mean, the players run that league, you know, so when we're talking about the NFL, I mean, a head coach's decision-making, it can dramatically change not only the course of a game, but the course of a season. And that's the reason why these coaches are really getting shorter and shorter leashes in terms of how long they have to prove themselves worthy at that position. Because it's so coveted when you have a great coach in that position and they're paid handsomely accordingly uh, to the impact they have on their franchises. But, you know, so for Brandon Staley, I mean, essentially what he's trying to do is control the narrative. Yeah. Essentially what he's trying to do is get people off of his case about some of the poor decision-making and talking about the overall product of the, the Los Angeles Chargers having more success since his tenures years began. He's got a lot to prove, though, in my opinion, in year two. It's a great start. I, I'm not going to – and I actually like him. I think he's, he's a talented young coach. I think he's got a good mind for things. But that team had some real problems, especially when you look at the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the third down defense was absolutely atrocious. They couldn't stop anybody in the run game. And that really affected them, especially later in the season where teams, you know, control the game with the run game as a result of poor weather. You know, maybe a passing game isn't as effective. And, um, and so, yeah, for, for a lot of that, and then including the decision-making, there are things that need to be cleaned up in year two. We'll see if he can do it. Like I said, I think he's a bright young coach. I actually really like the aggressive mentality from an offensive standpoint. I don't agree with all the decision-making, but I do agree with the tone that it sends. It sets in the locker room and it sends to the rest of your team. It doesn't matter if you're just affecting the one side of the football. It sends a message to the whole team. So I like all that, but he's got to make better decisions in critical moments the voice of Rich Ornberger. He just finished up his morning show, the Hartman and Rich O Show, on Extra 1360s, also with Fox Sports Radio, here with us on Raider Nation Radio. And I, I, I agree with you. At least right, you're trying to be aggressive. You're trying to set the tone. But I think what they've also done is maybe give Justin Herbert some continuity by keeping familiar names and the concepts around, like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams gets the extension. Austin Eckler is there for him. And now in the second year, under Lombardi's tutelage at offensive coordinator, how do you feel that uh, they're starting to maybe make this 
is easier for Justin Herbert because now he doesn't have to go through new systems year after year. He's with the people that he knows and maybe in a system that he trusts. Yeah, he's got a great relationship with his quarterback's coach. And uh, Coach Lombardi, his offensive coordinator, is the first offensive coordinator he's had in back-to-back seasons since his high school year playing football. Wow. And think about that. Senior year in high school. You know, so, look, Justin Herbert is an incredibly adaptable human being uh, to have that level of success in any endeavor with that many different voices in your head. Um, you know, so he's a bright guy. We know he has the arm talent to play in this league. We know he has the escapability and the, uh, the rushing ability to factor in the ground game. I mean, he really is the total package in terms of um, a quarterback uh, and a quarterback that can carry your franchise into a bright future. I, I think this is going to be a breakout year for Justin Herbert. I wouldn't be completely shocked if this is an MVP-type season for Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really think about the way it lines up with Mike Williams, with Keenan Allen, with Austin Eckler out of the backfield, if this offensive line can keep him upright, which they did a much better job of last season, still a lot of injuries, still a lot of issue with the right tackle position, but if they can shore things up up front and they can get this guy more time in the pocket and truly get him to shine, I mean, he's so dynamite on third downs. And he has some really excellent options in the passing game. And then again, the added bonus of his legs. He's a really athletic guy. I I see this being a a particularly special season for Justin Herbert in his third year with the same voices in the room. I do too. And I think the Chargers are going to score a million points uh, this year. Uh, You know, obviously exaggerating a little bit. But that's not my issue with the Chargers, uh, Rich. And, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to outscore the opponent, but when you have to outscore your own defense because they're giving up a slew of points themselves, that can get problematic um, because you're expecting the offense to almost be perfect every single game, and we know that that doesn't work. Uh, the, the, the Chargers gave up the fourth most points in the game last year, we, uh, last season in the NFL. We saw what happened in, in, uh, against the Raiders. They couldn't stop squat when it mattered. Have they done enough to address that? And can we expect, because let's face it, Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. And maybe it was just a matter of him getting his type of personnel in there. And that wasn't going to happen overnight. It was going to take time. Have they done enough uh, to make sure that they could start stopping some people when it counts? Yeah, they've definitely addressed it. The the question is, have they done enough? And we won't know until, you know, the the pads are on and, you know, they're, they're throwing and they're running for real. But I will say this. J.C. Jackson is a huge addition to the back end of an already pretty substantial secondary room. You bring in Khalil Mack, who, if healthy, is one of the better edge players in this league because he's ultimately a dominant pass rusher, and he can also play the run. And you could say the exact same thing about Joey Bosa. They, they attack the game differently, but they have a very similar effect in both the run and the pass game. Then you look, they made improvements on the defense, interior defensive line. Um, linebacker is still somewhat of an issue with this team, and that has been an issue through most of the tenure with general manager Tom Telesco. It hasn't been a great, it hasn't been a bright spot for them. It hasn't been a great spot for them defensively. But I do think that they've made enough of improvements, especially when you look at, you know, look, there's a list of things that you absolutely need to get right. In the NFL, this game, you need a quarterback, you need a receiver, a big-time receiver, and you need uh, a left tackle, right? Offensively, those are, the, those are the items that you, the boxes you need to check. Defensively, you need an exceptional corner. 
and you need an edge rusher. Well, they've got an exceptional corner. They've got a couple really decent corners. And then you look at their edge up front, again, assuming health, they've got that covered. And then Derwin James is healthy. I mean, he can play the box safety position, which is like an added linebacker. We saw how successful that was with the Seattle Seahawks during the Legion of Boom days with Cam Chancellor. And I'm not saying that he's Cam Chancellor. I'm not saying that he's going to have any type of season that Cam put together during his tenure with Seattle. But if he can stay healthy, he's that type of player. We've seen how dynamic he can be. But again, you have to assume health. And that hasn't been an assumption you can make historically with the Chargers. Rich, uh, could you take us back to the point when you were drafted by the Patriots in 2009 after going all Big Ten at Penn State? And, you know, what do you recall from those first days in New England and meeting Josh McDaniels and learning what Josh is expecting from the offensive line? Well, at first it was Billy O'Brien. Josh McDaniels rejoined the Patriots staff in 2011 after he was let go by the Louis Rams. Sorry, thank you. No, it's okay. We only overlap for about uh, well for a season, right? You know, but during my time with Josh, what I can tell you about him is he's meticulous. He's meticulous. Every detail matters. There's not a single thing that's going to get by him. He's very much look. I mean, the reason why it worked so well and so long with Bill Belichick in New England is because they're cut from the same cloth. This guy's a football junkie through and through. He's not going to allow us single detail to escape his purview. He wants to make sure that he has everything, every I dotted, every T crossed. And, um, and I think his first round, his first time as a head coach, the one part of the job that I don't think he handled perfectly was how he interacted with the team from a, an executive standpoint. You know, from a coach's standpoint, when you're just coaching, that's one thing. But when you're a head coach, you're also an executive. You have to connect with people on a personal basis. You know, you are, you are the, the, the last word on everything in the building. You're a figurehead. Right. And same is true with the media. You know, so it sounds like he learned a lot from that first go at it as a head coach in Denver. And I can tell you he is meticulous as an offensive game planner and as a coach. So that's, that's definitely something you can expect as the season goes on. If anything happens inside that building, Josh is going to know about it. And he's going to make sure that they have a plan for it. Rich, uh, I woke up to today and I realized it's it's 42 days away from uh, the Raiders kicking off uh, the preseason against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the uh, Hall of Fame game. So uh, the season's obviously barreling uh, at us. Uh, a few weeks out now of training camp. I want you to put your cleats back on for one second. Uh, what are players doing right now in that little five, four-week uh, period between the end of the off-season program uh, and, and training camp? Uh, and what's the fine line, or is there a fine line in pushing too hard and kind of giving your body a chance to rest and recuperate a little bit uh, so that when you do get to training camp, um, you're ready to go? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. This is the most popular time during the year for guys to get married because you only have, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you only have this short wedding. It's like my, my wedding anniversary is coming up, as a matter of fact. There you it, go. It, it sits perfectly in this little space we have. Uh, June 28th, right? And I'll tell you right now, the year I got married, several of my buddies in the NFL got married on the same day because Uh-oh. there's only so many Saturdays, right? So that's part of it, right? You know, you're going to be, you're going to obviously be spending time with family on special occasions like weddings or whatever. You know, this is the time period where you can really go because there's no such thing as calling your boss 
during the regular season and saying, hey, coach, you know, I can't make it. Jeez, you know, I would, I'd love to be in Cleveland to face the Browns, but I got a wedding. No, that doesn't happen. Catching up with family, you're going on vacation, you're doing whatever special events come up during this, this window. Um, but at the same time, you're keeping your eye on the work. You know, the work is keeping your body in shape, getting your body ready for the onslaught that comes when the regular season begins. And with the added game, the 17th game, you've got to make double sure that your body is ready for that. And it's only moving forward. I think we're going to have 18 games sometime soon. Separate discussion for Damn, a separate it's day. True. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, this is the time where you really got to focus the last bit of energy and making sure whatever nagging injuries are taken care of left over from minicamp or the off-season training, um, whatever you need to get out of the way in terms of your personal life. Because you basically live the hermit life for the next six months once training camp kicks off. <laughs> Um, those are the sort of things that players are up to. And then, man, that last week, it's like the week that summer's ending when you're a little kid waiting oh, for yeah. the school year to begin. You get the butterflies. You know, you, you know you're, you're, you're just, you, you, you don't sleep all that well. You know, you, you feel a little nauseous. And then once it gets going, once you put the pads on and you, stop, you start popping pads with your teammates, it starts feeling normal again. Well, Rich, we That's love awesome. having you on, man. That's a great, uh, uh, a lot of good imagery right there because it it feels like that for us too. You're getting ready to board a train in about 40 days, and it's nonstop. And we you know, we have to live the hermit life in order to survive. And we want to wish you a, a very happy anniversary five days from now. And and thanks again for coming on. We love having you on, and let's do it again real soon. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Rich Ornberger here with us on Raider Nation Radio. Follow him on Twitter at Ornberger. And uh, you know what? He's he's absolutely right. Oh. You know what? There's a uh, there's there's no no time to stop. You that, have to get this work done now yeah. if you want to have any sort of like peace of mind once the season starts because there's no stopping. The uh, the, the whole week before school start and the the nauseous and the nerves and all that. Uh, the I was a worry wart oh, when yeah. I was a kid anyway, so uh, it was always that trepidation and plus i played football uh, all the way through so football practice especially in high school was you know we we're getting ready to play games too uh, at the start of the school year so yeah it was just like this whole mix of oh gosh summer's over school all of that and that the nerves and 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 everything that goes with it uh, in the week leading up to it the sleepless nights and then once you get to school once it starts all that goes away it's almost like the anxiety didn't need to be there at all. Right. right? Because you're worried about could... the very first day. Everything's got to be perfect. But, you know, when you're playing football, you're at the the school enough to be like, you know what? I, I, sure. I, sh- I should be totally acclimated by the time yeah. it starts. Yeah. Called doing, Hell Week. Oh, Hell Remember? Week. You're doing two a days. Oh, oh it, was, it was nasty. It's not, none of that happens anymore, by the way, uh, where you, you just throw the football away. There was no, you weren't even allowed to have football in Hell Week where it was just conditioning and it was the worst. It was in the, it was in the heart of the summer. Um, God, those were terrible days, but, uh, but you got through it and uh, and all that. But uh, Rich painting the perfect picture of uh, of what it's what it's like over these next few weeks before it just really kicks in and, and that train leaves the uh, station. One thing he said though was really telling about the the Chargers' third down defense and really bad against the run. And you could see like those games that they faltered down the stretch. 
especially that loss to the Houston Texans where they gave 189 yards rushing yeah. to, to Houston. It was in Houston, but you don't do that. I not mean, against Houston, that team. No, not against that team, especially when uh, you just battled the, the Chiefs in overtime and you beat the Bengals. You were starting to line up. All you got to do is beat the Broncos and Raiders, but they couldn't do it, and they gave 174 on the ground to the Raiders. But that third down defense ranked last in the league, 49.5%. Uh, that's just not going to get it done. And you know what? If you got to find a way to to uh, find some you know, rectification, you have to start adding talent or schemes. And they kept the scheme more or less correct, but they tried to add guys like J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack. I'm still not sure if that's going to be the you know the the reason for success because when you're that low and that bad against the run, it's probably going to take a little more of an overhaul. I'm just not so sure. Um, you know, obviously Derwin James is going to help in the run defense. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, Rich just pointed it out that that box safety position, almost another linebacker. Uh, he'll he'll play big in that. Yeah, he was healthy last year. But yeah, exactly. But uh, JC and um, and uh, and Khalil, I don't. I'm not sure that they help much against the run. Um, yeah, that's not your problem now. Hey, that, no, no, they're yeah, g- they're going to help you get a pass rush and cover guys, but against right. the run, did they address that? Right, exactly. That that really did uh, kill them. And I'm sure Raider Nation's like, let's hope that they continue to do that. Um, and and that, that that obviously helps the Raiders and everyone else in the division. Um, but uh, also talking to Rich about just the meticulousness of Josh McDaniels. That has been such a adjective that's been thrown around about him. Uh, leaving no stone uncovered, understanding everything, uh, paying attention to all the details, the small and the big. Um, it's it's. I think it's going to. That's all. That's going to be reflected in how the Raiders play, and I and I really think, and it really has to be. It has to show um, in in the efficiency level, uh, especially in those key moments in games, red zone, uh, those types of things, third downs, uh, where you have to be as almost perfect as possible and and mistakes and penalties being on the same page. We've talked about this and talked about this. The, the, the Raiders last year uh, were a little loosey-goosey. They've been that uh, way uh, the last couple of years. They've been a little loosey-goosey when it gets right down to it in key moments. they got to tighten that up. And hearing Rich talk about Josh McDaniels being so meticulous, you figure uh, that sets a tone that you know, that filters all the way down to the players. It does, and I think it's something that is going to be a you know a mode of operation that we're going to start to see because there's going to be when you're meticulous like that as a head coach, you're full of accountability, and you're not going to wait too long on guys who aren't getting it. And we're going to find that out, especially at certain position groups like the offensive line. Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, by the way, have you checked the real estate market um, recently? We were talking about for, for, uh, for Clay here, uh, he made a prudent decision way back in the day. You bought in Summerlin, yes. right? Yeah, that's right. And what was Summerlin like at that time? It was, it, I wouldn't call it a barren wasteland, but it was, uh, you know, it was owned by, you know, Howard Hughes Corporation, but there was nothing around it. Right. Uh, there was no developments. There was, you know, you're really just taking faith on like, all right, well, we see what the plan's going to be, but when's it going to get here? Because it takes us forever to get out to this house from anywhere right. else in the and valley. Clay, having that uh, uncanny ability to see around corners, saw what was coming in Summerlin and made the right decision to buy in Summerlin. And there's a lot of decisions like that 
that that come along when we're talking about real estate, especially when you're you're, you're selling a house, and also the right timing to to, uh, to buy a house, um, and and both of them. And uh, that's why I want to talk about the Realty One Group here in Las Vegas, uh, because if you are buying or selling, and right now is a good time to do either, you're going to need somebody with a lot of experience uh, to help you get through uh, all the ups and downs that come along uh, with with buying or selling a house. And the Realty One Group uh, has got you covered uh, in that. They know the market, they know the neighborhoods, they know the transactions. They know how to get things done, Clay. Uh, and that's why we love them so much. Uh, they were founded here in Las Vegas. It's been their home for more than 11 years. They've been opening doors for their clients and opening doors for real estate professionals to live better lives ever since. And you know what I really like about them, Clay? They're proud to give back to the community. They donate their time and resources to make a real impact in the neighborhood that they operate. Uh, and so whether you're buying or selling a house, uh, whatever the case might be, please call the Realty One Group today at 888-461-0101. That's 888-461-0101. Now back to Clay Baker with your morning tailgate on Raider Nation Radio 928. On Raider Nation Radio, it's the morning tailgate. Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker, and you here on RNR 920. 702-365-9200 is the Realty One Group listener line. We'll take some calls here before we uh, take the break. Uh, thanks again to Rich Orenberger. Great stuff on on the Chargers and more. We'll get into more of that. Uh, but first, let's get out to Las Vegas. On the listener line, it's Raiders 66, the chronicler of Raiders history. Good morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Hey, doing good, good, man. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Great, great. I, I'm great. I, I just love this talk about the Chargers because uh, that Captain Clueless that they got leading him, <laughs> I think that is the perfect team for him because as your previous guest uh, stated, the uh, the media you know respect is just not there so it's the perfect team for him to get no wonder he's wondering why there's such a big hubbub about his decision because it's not covered there that team is just kind of a forgotten thing but uh historically um uh Vinny, you were saying you know that the raiders have their their number and you know there's maybe you don't know the reason why i want to think it's the curse of al davis because if you look at it al started in the nfl with the chargers he did under uh, sid gilman and uh the first three years of the Raiders' existence, they did not beat the Chargers. They were 0-6. In 1963, when Al took over, they beat the Chargers both times they played them. And the Chargers only lost three games that year. Uh, the Raiders did not make the playoffs because way back then in the AFL, it was just one team from the West, one team from the East that made the playoffs. So even at 10-4, and they were a game behind the Chargers, beat them both times, but they didn't make the playoffs. The, the historically, the Raiders have since '63. They've just really throttled the, the Chargers uh, in the uh, in the overall uh, uh, series. But I want to take a look at some numbers here from last year because we we love to talk about the uh, the red zone offense and the red zone defense of the Raiders. Oh, yeah. Red zone defense awful. Red zone offense awful. The meticulousness of Josh McDaniels that, that everybody talks about is going to pay off in that red zone. Vinny, uh, you guys mentioned the other day that uh, the two games against the uh, Chiefs, we lost by a combined 66 points. For the season, we outscored teams by 65. So you throw those two games out yeah. against the Chiefs, mm -hmm. it's basically 50-50. So now, you take all those short field goals that Carlson was kicking, and you replace those threes with sevens, which I am sure the McDaniels is going to help us do. Now you've got these close losses that are now victories, and you've got these close victories that are now double-digit wins. So the Raiders finished 10-5 and five other than the two Chiefs games. 
So now you're looking at what? You know, maybe uh, 12 and 3. So I want Raider Nation to maybe get a little bit worried that this may not be as exciting a season because with the red zone offense, uh, you know, stepping up, we may be having some bigger blowouts this year. And uh, even if the defense is as bad as it was last year, we improved that offense, which I'm sure McDaniels is going to do. We're looking for good things for the uh, for the Raiders. Go Raiders! You guys have a great day. Hey, thank you, sixty six, and you as well, man. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, great perspective on that. Historically, it's funny that the the think that they started out, you know, you know, zero six against the Chargers, you know, the, the Raiders' history. But this is, they have gone through crazy swings where there was a point in the seventies for five years where the Raiders won every matchup, and then there was a point in the early two thousands where the Chargers won every matchup for uh, six years. It was it was insane these swings that have gone back and forth. But the Chargers own the or the Raiders own the all time uh, the wins on, against the Chargers. But it's a battle that constantly goes back and forth, and you're never quite sure, especially when you have all the arms races now in the AFC West. That uh, this has now become like easily the biggest and most important division in football yeah without a doubt and i just remember as a kid uh when it counted when it got right down to it the raiders always beat the chargers you know when they met in important games when it had when one team had to have it or not uh the raiders typically took care of business and we saw that last year uh at allegiant stadium um and uh yeah so we'll we'll see if that if that continues and and you're talking about a great call uh, by raider 66 in terms of the efficiency uh, and that does come down to meticulousness, and it's it's in those marginal er- uh, areas uh, where playing good football, playing your best football when it counts, um, it matters. It truly matters. And we are talking about money time, and money time to me is in the red zone. When you go knocking on the door, uh, you have to cash out, and you have to cash out with the biggest ticket, not field goals, but touchdowns more often than not. Certainly better than forty nine percent, which is where they were last year. Uh, and and if they can, as Raider sixty six said, if they can, um, it special things can happen for this team. And I and I think that the mindset uh, and and covering all bases and being on top of everything and being as we said, I'm overusing this word, but it's the it's it perfectly uh, explains it. Meticulous counts. It does. And why don't that 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 sharpened focus. It's got to be there on a point of reference at the end of that last regular season game against the Chargers where the Raiders had two scores up on them, up by 15 in the fourth quarter, that they allowed the Chargers to come back. And it was was a part of scheme or was it a part of like details? Because there was a, a, a time where just, you know, Herbert was just picking guys off on, on long third and longs, fourth downs, and he was finding great success downfield against a Gus Bradley secondary that seemingly allowed uh, the receivers to find the spots open. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, it was it was odd because they played great defense, sometimes first, second and third down. And it would come down to a fourth down or, you know, um, and, and, and sometimes, you know, when I, I've watched that game so many different times, sometimes you just, you, you literally have to tip your cap because Justin Herbert on some money downs was just unbelievable. He was fantastic. And sometimes you got to tip your cap. Uh, the Raiders survived it. Nevertheless, they survived it. Uh, and they went to the playoffs and the Chargers went home to L.A. Um, and so, so you know that that's obviously the the, the good thing of, of it. Do you expect a guy like Justin Herbert to do that again in a similar circumstance? I don't know. That was like one of the most miraculous you know performances I've ever seen, especially on those third and fourth downs, and especially on those fourth downs. Is that repeatable? I don't know. What some of the things that we saw in that game um, were just 
I've never seen him before. <laughs> I've I never seen him before either. I, I wouldn't expect it to happen again, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does because you see a, a young guy really getting into it. And as uh, uh, Rich Hornberger had stated, it's the first time since high school he's had the same OC right. for three years. Right, um, and that's that's probably going to make a difference. But again, where I come down on uh, with the Chargers uh, is have they done enough uh, d- defensively? And uh, specific, when it comes down to the Raiders, uh, there's so much talent here uh, with this Raiders, especially offensively, that I go right to, and we're going to beat this uh, horse uh, quite a bit, but but in that red zone, uh, are they going to be able to be a better football team in that red zone? And it goes across the board. We've been talking about this all week. Uh, it's not just play calling or play sequencing. Um, it's not just getting the balls of your star players and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's also being... Uh, you know, playing crisp football. Don't turn it over. Don't commit silly penalties. That killed the Raiders so many times in trips to the red zone last year. Um, play your, be able to run the ball. Be able to run the ball um, yeah. yes. and, and force your will on opponents. I, I'm thinking about the game that the Raiders went to New England a couple of years ago in 2020. And, uh, and, 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 and the Patriots taking advantage of their trips to the red zone uh, versus the Raiders not, and that was in 2020, and a lot of it was done with by running the ball. By wasn't it Burkhart? Mm-hmm. Who? who yeah. I'm and like, that, who yeah. is this guy? Yeah, Rick, Rex Burkhead. Uh, just Burkhead. Went, yeah, like he he was like dominant. He put his head down, and uh, he actually uh, like he had like a just a, a great receiving and rushing day. But you know what? It was a, it was a great matchup that nobody saw because everyone had their eyes on other guys. Yeah, but when it came down to it in the red zone, they were the more physical efficient team and that's what I think Raider Nation wants to see from their team uh, this year in those moments uh, at in that on that side of the football field by any means necessary uh, it's there, there's nothing more boring than handing the ball off to a running back in those situations sometimes it seems like you can't be more creative than that but it doesn't matter if you're getting it done then that becomes the sexiest thing that you've ever seen um, and and w- the way the Patriots are doing it that day is is, is something that I think the Raiders uh, are going to Raider fans are going to get used to when they get into the red zone and just decide this is the time we're going to turn it up physicality wise uh, and get it done right here and right now we're going to do it in the most brutal boring uh, mundane kind of way we're going to run it right up your you know what and get across that goal line. Uh, the Chargers uh, were, were uh, one of the league leaders in red zone TD percentage last year. Even in the even in fourth down conversions, 22 out of 34 fourth down conversions, that's almost 65%. And uh, we see this on Twitter, I'm sorry, rather on our Sam and Ash text line, 69187, from Rob in Oakland. He writes in, Brandon Staley thinks he's reinventing the wheel with all these fourth down antics. The historic success rates of fourth down are based on a league that doesn't game plan for a team that repeatedly goes for it. So fearlessness on fourth works when things are going well, but it can turn into demoralization when things go bad. And Josh McDaniels once said at a presser, more games are lost than won. Staley's going to get himself fired until he grows up, and I could care less, Rob in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they're, they're obviously it's going to work sometimes, and when it does, you know, he's he's the the, the new king of the mountain. Um, you know, wow, this is great. You know, he went for it on fourth down, and it worked out and, and all that, but as we've seen, uh, it also doesn't work out. And it, I'm sure the um, analytics people will say uh, just – Remember that and think about that because it's not always going to work out, but that doesn't make it a bad decision. I sometimes think that that gets overplayed a little bit. I think there's a time and a place, and I think that far too often last year for the Chargers, 
Um, there were a couple of games in particular where those decisions were just bad decisions. It wasn't about the outcome necessarily. It was the decision itself that I didn't like. Yeah, and we saw that before Staley got there, Anthony Lynn had a very difficult time converting on those fourth down conversions, and it led to so many losses, including that one streak where they couldn't get out of their own way. Let's take a break. We'll come back, and we'll ramp up this show, and we'll uh, we'll also give you another chance to win a pair of Joe Rogan tickets, 702-365-9200, here on Raider Nation Radio. It's Vinny and Clay on your Thursday. com. The grill is still sizzling and the drinks are cold. So let's get back to your morning tailgate with Clay Baker on RNR 920 AM. Hey, thanks for joining us here on Radio Nation Radio, wrapping it up on the third hour. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker, and you. From the text line, uh, some thoughts earlier when we talked about how you know the offense could start to look different uh, this year than other previous regimes. You know, uh, Vinny brought up the example of how Mike D'Antoni's offense with the Phoenix Suns looked so different that you couldn't cover anybody. You didn't know who was getting the ball. And uh, St. Louis Raider D uh, texted in as "Let's hope and pray that our defense is better than D'Antoni's." Ha, three one four, very funny. But yeah, I mean, uh, Derek Carr could definitely fill that Steve Nash role. And and, and you know, as just as, as an analogy, here's another one from Luke Pasadena. He says, uh, "How was Darren Waller not Walter Payton Man of the Year last year?" You know, it's hard to find out how that is all done, but right. he's definitely got his name up there. It's if it doesn't happen uh, this year, you know, his kind of work and generosity in the community, it will be awarded. Yeah, uh, I think so uh, as well. And how about Paul Gutierrez earlier uh, bringing up Nate Hobbs as somebody that could step out as a star? And we've oh, been yeah. talking about Nate Hobbs uh, quite a bit uh, as as somebody that, you know, uh, going into his second year uh, can transition from guy, being a guy that uh, doesn't just man his possession or, or position, albeit at a very high level he did as a rookie last year, not just manning the position, but then being a playmaker in addition to that and, uh, and going f- being freed up to literally make plays, and I think it's in his future, and I think it's in his DNA, um, and, I, and, I, and I truly think that he's capable of doing it. Uh, one more call before we uh, wrap up the show here on Raider Nation Radio. Out to uh, the Rocky Mountain State, Rocky Mountain Raider Dave in Denver. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, Vincenzo, you're speaking in my language. Okay. You know, the run game in the red zone is the coup de gras, I think, because the screen game can be so effective at the 15-yard line where you have room to push the DBs all the way back into the end zone, and Drake and Jacobs can just hunt out in the open field. Yeah, I agree, uh, and I and and we've been talking about this, uh, you know, ever since watching them in OTAs and, and minicamp. Uh, when you when you see the the various ways that they ran the ball and doing some other things too that I think are going to uh, please uh, Raider fans, including Lincoln Kennedy, who's been on the uh, screen game uh, bandwagon for a long, long time, uh, beating that drum. I think that you'll be uh, pleased by what you see and how they attack uh, down in the uh, that part of the field, both running it uh, and and how they might be a little bit. Clever in in how they throw it as well. Dave, well said, man. Have a great day to you, sir. You too, guys. Raider Dave in Denver. Thank you. you. And Sal from the text line, uh, 69187, the Salmon Ash text line, says, Red Zone offense is a mentally more than anything. You have to have the mindset that we are scoring a touchdown even if it takes 
four down. Sal, good thought there. There's a lot to that. It's it's physicality, but yeah, there has to be a mentality that we're not going to worry about hesitating. We're not going to worry about all the other things. You almost you almost needed a clean slate for this offensive group now, so they can start attacking the red zone. Because in previous regimes, the effort and uh, you know the anxiety was starting to really boil over, where you couldn't find any sort of semblance of stability. They were just inefficient uh, mm-hmm. in that part of the field, and 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 it ran the gamut. We talked about it. You know, missed assignments. Uh, guys not blocking the right guys. Guys sometimes not running the right route. Um, you know, and, and and then penalties, uh, turning the ball over. It's it, those are the worst times. That is the worst time to do any of those things, and they did it a lot, uh, far too often. And so, if they can cut that down and be a more efficient, steely-eyed team in the red zone, uh, it'll go a long way. Thank you again for calling in today and participating on the show. All three hours of our podcast will be up there at lvsportsnetwork.com as well as iTunes and Amazon and Audible. I want to thank Rich Ornberger, Paul Gutierrez, as well as Todd Dewey. Tomorrow, we'll talk to Eddie Pascal and a whole lot more as we wrap up the week that was that was here for Raider Nation Radio. I want to thank everybody, and we will wish you all a wonderful day. In fact, today, a big one today, JT the Brick from 12 to 2, Q Myers from 2 to 5, all day long here on Raider Nation Radio. For Vinny Bonsignor, I'm Clay Bakery. Wish you the very best. Coming up next, it's Rich Eisen here on R&R 920. Hey, guys. It's your boy, Vinny B. from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news. All TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right. TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas.